Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Smell Test, the podcast where we look at movies that were important to our childhood or are growing, uh, <laughs> blossoming into adulthood and evaluate whether or not they still hold up today in 2023. My name is Jessica, and I am 41 years old. <laughs> <laughs> it almost sounds like you you just... Like you were like in an AA meeting, like <laughs> it feels like it. forty somethings anonymous. My name is Jessica, <laughs> and I am forty one years old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Diane, and I am. Uh, I was born in the year nineteen eighty seven, and so right now I'm thirty six years old. So that's the lens um, I'm viewing things through. But I just wanted to clarify. You said blossoming into adulthood. I'm still doing that. So. <laughs> There is a high likelihood we'll, you know, watch something from 2017 because, you know, I'm ever watch the Barbie movie. We'll watch the Barbie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Basically, I just want an excuse to discuss the movie Lady Bird, um, which was Greta Gerwig's first film. Um, but yes, Barbie, you're hearing us at a time when Barbie just took over the world, the box office, along with Oppenheimer. Um, but I think Barbie of the two is most related to the topics that we're doing. So we've had some discussions about feminism so far and politics and, um, you know, and Barbie is an excellent film to pick apart when it comes to that. And uh, I haven't seen it yet, so we'll see it as we're not going to pick it up just yet. but also that's me stalling and here's why um so today we're going to talk about never been kissed which you're going to say the background of but um i just want to clarify that when we choose these films i usually try to choose something and by usually i mean i work very hard to choose things that i can access for free on the (laughs) um but everything on streaming services turns over monthly right so when i first had this idea i said oh it's on like hulu i think it was and so i watched it then a few months ago um tried to watch it again it costs like four bucks i'm just gonna wait for it to cycle back through into a streaming service because i've seen it an adequate amount of times that I didn't feel like I needed to, but um, I'm coming into this really a little rusty, but you're gonna get my gut reaction today to like pretty much everything, which is, I think it'll be a nice exploration of how I probably in my head minimize a lot of things related to the film. So if there's some cringy things and then I either say, I don't remember or I explain it away, That's where that's coming from, which I think will be really fun. All right, there we go. So Never Been Kissed, the 1999 movie, actually Drew Barrymore's first production, her production company's first movie, which is exciting, that Flowers, whatever company, um, directed by Raja Gosnell. What? Is it still active? Like you say it's the first of many. That was her first movie that her production company made. So Drew Barrymore made the double salary. We like that vibe. Director Raja Gosnell, who is of Scooby-Doo and 
Big Mama's House fame. And then Power Team writers, Abby Kahn and Mark Silverstein, who wrote all of the um, all of the chick flicks of the day. So they wrote How to Be Single and He's Just Not That Into You and those kind of movies. Um, bring you the story of Josie Geller, the 25-year-old copy editor who badly wants to be a reporter. And then her boss comes in, the big boss of the paper comes in and he says, we need someone to go undercover in a high school and she's the youngest one in the room. So she gets picked. It's a powerhouse cast. I totally, totally forgot how many amazing people who were in this movie. And then Octavia Spencer sits down and I'm like, what is happening? And, you know, Molly Shannon is a dream as the slutty best friend, which is so not a normal Molly Shannon role. Gary Marshall's in it. Uh, Jessica Alba, interesting styles, by the way, of Jessica Alba. But as one of the hot girls, we had, uh, who's the girl who, Lily Sobieski, yeah. who, uh, the nerdy best friend. Uh, so, that's the the kind of start point. We meet Josie Geller at a baseball diamond where she then rewinds back two months to tell her John story. John C. Riley. Hold on. We need to also say oh, shit. John, John C. Riley is in that magical film. in this movie. Magical. It's amazing in it, but it's also John C. Riley. <laughs> right. It is bananas. All right. I can't believe I left him off my list. He was when he came on is when I texted you, like, holy shit, I forgot the banger cast. <laughs> this movie has. Okay, so let's start off by you, Diane, telling us why this movie was so important to your uh, blossoming into adulthood. <laughs> into into <laughs> my continuing blossoming into adulthood. So I thought about this um, a little bit, like when did I first see it? So I had a best friend. In so you were 13, right? When this came out? 12. 12. Okay. So 1999. I was 12 years old. Um, I, very likely sixth or seventh grade, depending on when it came on cable, because I watched it at my best friend Carolina's house and she had cable. She actually had satellite TV. She didn't have cable hey. TV. She, yeah, she had cable TV and, or why do I keep saying cable TV? She literally had satellite TV and this is why it was better than cable TV she so the town i lived in at the time banned the airing of mtv on cable networks oh is that when madonna kissed black jesus because that's when i couldn't watch it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> i'm guessing i i'm guessing probably that era had something to do with it or maybe it's simple capitalism i don't know but you could not access mtv in that that sit or that town it's a town it's a very small town and um my friend carolina had satellite tv so she had mtv which was like a bonus but she also had all the networks like hbo and cinemax mm -hmm. and um so i wouldn't say i necessarily i definitely did not watch it in the theater but i would say i watched it pretty soon after it released um because it was you know hbo or something so i watched it i was 12 ish 12 and a half ish at the time um carolina was probably one of my only friends uh i also was bullied a lot at that time which is a very central point to this plot line 
And so when I'm watching this, I had already seen Fast Times like a year prior or something. So when I'm watching this, uh, I'm thinking, okay, maybe maybe things get better at some point. Maybe things get better. High school looked like a nightmare. High school for me was not as much of a nightmare as it was for Josie, like, thank God. But um, I watched it thinking, ooh, I want to be Josie one day. Like being an adult, like I wanted to fast forward into being that age. And I think I could relate to, you know, to just being a bullied girl but at the same time i couldn't relate too much because it was fucking drew barrymore and she very much followed that trope of like she's ugly because she had frizzy hair and braces which is like okay <laughs> <laughs> and so so josie was incredibly bullied in high school so she gets all excited about this whole assignment she wants to be an undercover reporter she runs to tell who's her only non-work friend in the movie, her brother, played by David Arquette. She says, I'm so excited. I'm going to be an undercover high school student. And he's like, don't you remember what high school was like? You were Don't you remember the nickname? And then she has all these flashbacks to being called Josie Grossy. Grossy. And then we find out he's the person who made the nickname, which is a very, like, that was like, okay, I get it. Because my siblings and I were each other's biggest bullies. I don't know that I was bullied. I was, I don't wasn't bullied in high school, but I wasn't cool. <laughs> like so, but my biggest bully was for sure my little brother and I was his, right? So so that that resonated. So where did you think you fought, fell in kind of the social stratosphere of high school? Oh, um so I went to what you would call regular high school one year and then the other two years of high school i went to something called an alternative school so i was in um very small classrooms that were uh, like multi like multi-cohort so like anything from like seventh to seniors um so that vibe was like that vibe was different for a lot of reasons and i feel like maybe we could visit that in like a dangerous minds episode okay all right right. (laughs) because it's like you know that's where all the um interesting cases of the community um went to finish out education or attempted to uh but my first year of high school and the reason why i'm saying that is because my the town i went to high school in um it was 10th, 11th, and 12th was the high school okay. structure. Yeah. Uh, ninth grade happened at a junior high. Um, I was bullied. So in middle school, I was bullied a lot in the small town because I definitely just like, I was always, I was never going to fit in the small town because I didn't right. grow up there. And so um, I was bullied for being poor, for lots of things. And so that's where I was when I watched the film we moved to another town and when i was there uh you know someone described me as a social butterfly in junior high and i think that fits i would pop around during lunch from table to table hang out with people i could tell you about experiences going out to do this thing with these folks or doing this but um 
Yeah. And then by the time I was like a junior and senior, I lived in a college town. So I was hanging out with a lot of like college students instead. So um, I don't know. Like I said, I was really trying to fast forward into, into, adulthood. into college and adulthood. So <laughs> I wouldn't say I had a traditional high school experience by any means. So but like I definitely um, like I got along with people, but I also I wouldn't I, I haven't really like I don't go to reunions or anything. <laughs> that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. What about you? So you were you just kind of. So I so I moved in the middle of high school and in my first high school, I lived in the same town from when I was nine till 16. So I had a significant group of friends. Um, I did, I, you know, I'm always, I always vibed on nerdy a little bit, but um, I like to call myself the, my, this is my brag. I was the smartest kid in the regular class or the dumbest kid in the advanced <laughs> class. That's, that's exactly, I, I get it. Yep. <laughs> um, but, you know, in my, in my first school, I played softball and I played field hockey and I was on student government. And then, so I knew a lot of people. I was very social. I had a really good friend group. I thought I was cool. And then I moved to a huge high school that had uh, 4,000 kids in it. <laughs> and so like six buildings, 4,000 kids, huge high school. And, you know, when you are a new kid at those kind of schools, it's not like it's not this story where Josie got up and had to wear the sombrero, right? Like, so when Josie comes back, besides the first thing I want to talk about, when she comes back to high school, her first day, she's wearing this ridiculous out outfit. But the worst part is, is that her white lipstick matched her white outfit. And I could not look, I could, I was so angry at that lipstick choice, but we'll get there. Um, but so it wasn't like when I was the first when I came into class, people were like, this is the new student, Jessica, because it was an inner city high school. People rotated a lot. So there was no like, hey, she's cool. It's fine. It, I was just like, I was sitting alone. Could she be new? Could she be a loser? Who cares? So I was kind of adopted into this one friend group that probably I wouldn't have hung out with in my old school and it humbled me a little bit uh and then eventually by like my senior year I made some friends but I I was never like all those when I watched this movie one of the things where all the ways that she was bullied all the physical ways that she was bullied uh are very foreign to me which is lucky a lucky experience for me I guess yeah and uh the the physical ways um I'd say for the most part don't apply to me either. Um, but uh, at that point I was in middle school and I was like, oh, things are just gonna get worse when I was old. <laughs> <laughs> and then they get better, I think, um, because of this plot line. But in the context of the movie, Josie in her first for like when she was in high school, she was she had grown up there. Like she had grown up with these people yeah. and I guess had always been hated. It seems like, like everyone had always disliked her. Um, but she had like one best friend. What did they cover? Was she involved in anything? The best friend, she never shows up again. She, we only meet her friend in high school. 
different just when she's told that that the hot guy brian is gonna bring her to prom right but in terms of like school clubs or anything is she involved at all it doesn't say i don't remember her being involved in anything even nerdy things because she okay. is she gets invited to the the math club <laughs> in high school part two uh, exactly and that's what i was thinking about so um Okay. This is a this is a PSA for all parents out there. Let your kids be heavily involved because even if they're nerdy, it will at least provide them some safety and security. <laughs> <laughs> at least they'll I mean, run. I mean, your ability to graduate really to like, and it matters in college. We both worked at colleges. Your sense of belonging is directly tied to your extracurricular exactly. and sets a student up for success. And we will leave it at that. Keep going, sorry. <laughs> no, you're right. Because the retention person in me was wondering about, like, did she? <laughs> so, like, yeah. So now as a 36-year-old, right, my um, my matronly, uh, <laughs> my maternal instinct is coming in where I'm like, oh, someone should have gotten that baby involved or something. But that's what, that's what happens to her. So she... In the movie, she goes back looking dorky as hell, but she gets adopted. So kind of like you got adopted. She gets adopted from the math club, the mathletes, who are really mm -hmm. dorky. Um, but she's she's happy with them, right? Mm -hmm. She fits yeah. in. She loves it. It's so fun. Um, she would have stayed unless she got yeah. pressured, but, but she got But it's not interesting. It wasn't yeah. interesting. Yeah, so our editors in the background were like, you need to find more dirty, interesting stuff. You need to hang out with the cool kids. So in the movie, one of the parts that's, there's a significant plot line we have not mentioned yet. We're, we're going to have to get into it at some point. Yeah, in time. But in the high school, <laughs> in the high school uh, popularity contest, one of the parts that was really interesting in this movie is that her editors and such really wanted this salacious story from her about the life of a high schooler, which if you remember when we talked about Fast Times at Ridgemont High, the real life version of this, though, spoiler alert, this is a very relevant movie to be talking about in the summer of 2023, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But um, in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, he wanted to go back to show that high schoolers had more depth and more to say and they had more to offer than just johnny can't read in this movie her editors really were hard pressuring her to find salacious material and her editors were very upset when their competing paper was able to put out an article about the place that all the kids partied a lot as like an expose was it called yeah. the law or it was something like that where it was just a big parking lot yeah but Part of that was that's where the cool kids hang out. Right. And Drew Barrymore's character, Josie, was being responsible with Lily Sobieski's character. And, the, and her sister in the back. And her little sister. They're like listening to soft rock and like drinking milkshakes, which is like an ideal evening. Safe. That's what you want if you. As a 40 year old, that children. sounds wonderful. Yeah. And like, <laughs> as like. If I think about if I were a parent and that's what my kid was doing, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds really great. But instead, some reporter, you know, got the the scoop on this lot because that's where the cool kids hang out. And so they had access to the cool kids. 
And one of the things that that scene is the first time we see Lily Sobieski's character, Aldous, really break because she is like so I love that character because she was so powerful in her nerd. She was just like, she was so y'all, you are assholes. I don't so want to be with you. But then so soft spoken too, like just so confident, just the way not soft, like she's just like even, even tempered. Right. But then when they drove by the party spot, mm -hmm. Guy, I think, was the person who came and said, get out of here. You don't belong here. This isn't for losers or whatever he said. You'll never be popular. Like, blah, blah. Yeah. And, she, and and Josie really had to, like, calm her down because she was right. getting she was like, that's stupid. I don't want to be there anyway. But she's tearing up. And that's when you see, like, I think she was just such. You know, Lily Sobieski was actually originally supposed to play Kristen. So it's the blonde girl, the mean blonde girl. Makes a lot more sense. But she <laughs> was like, that character is not interesting. And so she picked to play the okay. nerdy person. So just side note, what's her name in the film? Al Aldis, Aldis, A-L-D-Y-S. Aldis. Okay. So I'm just thinking, so Lily Sobieski, she was, I did not know that she was initially going to play the mean girl. So yeah. one thing I take umbrage with is just like Drew Barrymore, she's treated like she's this like ugly girl. Yeah. They call her Alpo, I think as a, yep. yeah, yeah. Like a dog or something. Yeah. Lily Sobieski is a gorgeous woman and she always has been like growing up. She's gorgeous. And, um, so she's she's like tall and thin in this film and so it's like it's like so interesting to me like how those roles get cast but that makes a lot more sense to me that she self-selected into that and that's like her vibe right like at that point in time she's at the peak she hasn't really done anything since 2012 um except for played like a caricature of herself on one a comedy show playing the Joan of Arc character she played in 1999. So like 1999 was a banger year for this actress and she could just kind of pick whatever she wanted to play. Um, oh, why am I blanking on the girl who was Chloe Savini was the other option for the oh. nerdy best friend, which I'm glad because she's a little- I love her, but that would have been too edgy. That would have been too dark. She, yeah, she, I don't think she could have. She's a she very- She could have pulled it back. She yes, yes, I don't think <laughs> But um, so that's but that's the first moment that we really see that character kind of crack a little bit, which I thought was I thought just made her so whole, you know, just made it so real, because I think as especially, oh, my hot take that I almost just said to you and I'm still going to say out loud is women aren't allowed to be ugly in movies. Well, that's Maggie. exactly it. <laughs> I'm just pointing yeah. out. Yeah. Even the thing. But yeah, if she was, if it was a guy, he could have been ugly. Uh, but <laughs> that's how we look at things. But um, could have been so ugly. hot take, not hot take. But um, ugly and chubby. Yep. 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 All those things a lot. All but those things. But she, that, nope. Right. But, you know, with that, like, kind of that character, I like really fell in love with her in that moment because I was like, oh, she's just so. She's just so herself. And even though she tries to be really strong, there are just moments of breakage. And I, you know, I think you and I are pretty strong women who have strong opinions and are usually, um, I have graduated from our dumbest person in the smart class or smartest person in the dumb class 
high school lives and are often like know what we're talking about and it just I really identify with that character in that moment with just like being okay with being a nerd and then you have this minute where you're like I don't I do want to be accepted and that was sweet well yeah like never fitting in like I definitely I've never fit in. So that moment really resonated with me watching it because it does kind of capture like the heartbreak of like, even if you don't want to, it's so important <laughs> to yeah. like to to that time to that to the culture in high school that um, like it can break you down and even now in contemporary society i would say sometimes you know i i get real down like oh why can't i just fit in with stuff but you know uh i think i think yeah i i think a lot of people deal with that like well why why can't i just fit in and yeah yeah and yeah and it was such a i don't know i love that moment so much anyway <laughs> um so should we get into like the big conversation about this movie now or do you want to yeah. make some so the big conversation oh wait can i tell you a side story that kind of has is tangential to this yeah. yep so i just feel like it needs to be told so we're talking about fitting in one thing about me is that i have like a very like regular white woman look so i get told that i look like people all the time and like I look like everyone's cousin. I look like everyone's friend. Everyone knows someone who looks like me. I have like pretty average size eyes, pretty average size nose, <laughs> like a dark hair, like a little chubby, but like not too chubby. And this is like, so I get a lot of like, oh, you look exactly like. And I even get that with, with stars sometimes. I've been told I got a very Kat Dennings vibe. I was just about to say <laughs> that I'm certain you've heard that one. <laughs> yeah, especially when I was a waitress uh in comedy clubs going through law school I would I would like every day I wore like this kind of low-cut shirt and I was in a comedy club so I'd be like what's your, what's your order and I was like not super friendly and everyone told me I was just like Kat Dennings in her role in Two Broke Girls I've been told that I look just like Shannon Doherty I've been told I look just like uh Jillian Anderson during um during X-Files not now she was like you I've know. gotten that one before. That's yeah. weird. I look nothing like that woman. I think it's a nerdy all. girl. I think it's just like you're a nerdy girl. Like, I don't know, but yeah, I heard that a but lot. Yeah, so I get confused. I get told I look like people all the time. I would say, dear listeners, probably the most accurate is Shannon Doherty. Younger Shannon Doherty, younger me is probably the more accurate one. But um, regardless, I was in a restaurant one time in Fort Myers, Florida. And this girl was acting so, the waitress was acting so weird. And I was like, what is this girl issue? It was so awkward. She kept staring at me. And, and I was like, what is going on? And I, and I kind of see it now a little bit, but especially since I tend to talk out of the one side of my mouth a little more than others. But she said to me, when she gave me my credit card back, she's like, I'm so sorry. I've been so weird. I genuinely thought you were Drew Barrymore. And I was like, what? And then, <laughs> what? You know, at this point in my life, Drew Barrymore was always blonde. She was like 
know, like the girl who like skinny, small, like all these things. Short well, blonde hair too. This dumb bitch, and I'm gonna say that, had just seen the stand-in. And so she explains to me, there is a Drew Barrymore movie where Drew Barrymore is this like rich, successful star and she's had too much of the life. And then this woman who looked exactly like her that was homeless and a junkie looked like her. So she used her to stand in for her in her life when she didn't want to go to things. And then that lady, the like bad version, quote unquote, of Drew Barrymore went to, uh, to take over Drew Barrymore's life, pretty Drew Barrymore's life, and then proceeded to tell me I looked like the homeless one. It's <laughs> great. And I was like, it's oh, like Drew Barrymore. So that's my Drew Barrymore story. Sorry for it randomly in the middle, but it does have to do with like, I think in the general. Well, I think you, you just, you brought up something we need to discuss is that, so you mentioned she looked nerdy. So in high school she had long for the way they made her nerdy which they put glasses on her braces on her and long frizzy brown hair and in the beginning of the movie she had long frizzy brown hair too yeah so by the time she's 25 she still has the braces are gone glasses gone but hair still there frizzy brown hair shoulder mm-hmm. she gets a makeover she gives herself a makeover by a box dye right by intensely studying all the beauty parts of like different magazines so she bleaches her hair blonde which is like what in the 80s and 90s that's how we know drew barry more to look Mm -hmm. um so she has like shoulder length curly blonde hair but at the beginning she's really nerdy wearing clothes that are ill-fitting that don't show her figure off um big sweatshirts stuff like that really kind of geeky stuff and then they say you need to be more sexy so then they they do a makeover on her right so anita advises her but there's not a significant makeover the slutty friend but the slutty friend anita played by molly shannon picks out her outfit and stuff and that's why she wears that like feather boa sweater that's see-through very similar to some of the clothes in clueless right Right. but but she has a full white outfit white lipstick so she's blonde and she's got the cute kind of drew barrymore haircut that she always has but the rest of her is like just a little off the mark to keep her looking nerdy she's got the boa over a sweater that had feathers on it so the girls instantly start making about jokes about chickens dying uh the mean girls (laughs) and then she's got white pants on and she spills her chocolate milk on it so kind of still showing she's nerdy her lipstick is off like all those kind of pieces are off so the cool people the girls there's three mean girls yes kirsten Kristen, and gibby gibby there's a Kirsten and a Kristen, right? Yeah. So kind of pokes fun at my generation, how we all, a lot, lots of us have ridiculous names. Um, so then, uh, I mean, it's only gotten worse since then, but, uh, and then there's like a group of dudes, but there's one primary dude. Um, is his name Guy? Yeah. <laughs> they just named him Guy. Yep. So Guy is a, um, popular but he's like dark and moody 
and like yes. mysterious, but he's the popular boy. So those are the main popular people she's dealing with. And Guy's the one who was mean, who's like a dick. Cause he's like, he's just like so coldly like, he'll never be popular. And like, that's like, you know, cool. Everyone loves him. He's a trendsetter. If he thinks something's cool, everyone thinks it's cool. Yep, he tries um, to make the word Rufus work. And yep. like, that's dope, that's whatever, that's Rufus. So then those are the main characters there in the high school. And then you have the teacher. <laughs> yeah. One thing to mention in that cool kids group, which I didn't even notice, but then when I tried to research background of this movie, all they talk about is how this is James Franco's first movie. And I was like, when was he even in it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. James Franco is in it. He's in that boy group. He's in, he's Guy's best friend. But yeah. So then we have the teacher. So first day of class, so much like when I was watching this in my Fast Times at Ridgemont High <laughs> joke was so serious because in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, he's like, are you sure you're 19? Opposite this one. Oh, this my God. Movie, so, yes. Are you sure you're 17? <laughs> like, she quote, she says what a word means in the beginning that as her in her first Shakespeare English class, she says what a word means. And he's like, are you sure you're 17? <laughs> he's like, that's, that's hot. Yeah. So then he's like, yeah. Well, no, he doesn't mean it that way. But he, yeah, he is asking because, he yeah, it's like kind of a double entendre, right? Because right. he's basically like signaling to her that she's worldly like right yeah are you sure you're 17 because you're you're like mature for your age is like right. what he was signaling when he said that so as the movie goes on we have two love interests we have guy the 17 year old drew barrymore's character There's two is of them <laughs> drew, drew barrymore's character is 25 and uh -huh. then teacher Sam Coulson, who's like the cool guy teacher who teaches them hockey and is weirdly very involved in prom planning. But we only meet two <laughs> teachers through the whole movie. So they need to ramp up their existence in the movie. And I it's think. Michael Varton who plays yes. that. Yes. <laughs> Former husband of uh, Jennifer Garner, right? Wasn't he the guy from Alias? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So oh. Michael, Michael Varton, who is, you know, a very attractive guy. He's hot. He's hot, uh, dude. So creep factor on both sides, right? Because she's an actual 25 year old. Her, her, the one of her love interests is an actual 17 year old. Her teacher is like hitting on her and thinks she's 17. And her teacher is actually closer to her real age. So it's, 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 on all sides here it's a very strange triangle ish not quite a triangle but there's a lot of weird things happening there there's also the other relationship so those are the two that she's engaged in but there's a whole other one we have not even scratched yet which is so rob is what like 23 at the time her brother yep yep and he comes to he comes to school he comes to school he changes himself it. into it because he never he gives himself a last name which is part later so he signs up just as rob he doesn't even give the school a last name no last name <laughs> because on homecoming court he didn't have a last name to, i mean prom court he didn't have a last name as a prom prince mm -hmm. and so he but he comes in just for funsies because he misses high school so he's like right. one of those like those dudes who misses high school too much because that's when they peaked probably he's kind of a loser he works at like a copy center yes. um 
So the sec that relationship that I'm talking about is Rob goes back and then he gets himself a girlfriend immediately. He becomes popular immediately and he gets himself a 15 year old 16 16 16 they said like that makes it better a 16 year old girlfriend named i think it was kimmy was her name or something uh, what was her name but she's a very petite sparkly cheerleader tracy i think i think it's tracy tracy, tracy yeah. yes yeah and so um so that's another thing that's happening is that rob has tracy with him all the time Right. And so Tracy drops a lot of hints towards Drew Barrymore. Like, I think I'm right. They were learning how to put on condoms in class. And one of the funniest scenes, right, in the movie is when Molly Shannon's character, Anita, comes in to say hi to her during her lunch break and then gets mistaken for the sex ed teacher and gives them a lecture on whether or not sex is good for you. And then also teaches them how to put on condoms. And during that conversation, Tracy tells Josie that she thinks she's ready to have sex. And then Rob comes in right after. So like, there's a lot of foreshadowing for that relationship as well. And one of the reasons that Rob goes, Rob goes back to high school under the guise that there's two reasons, right? One, I want to get back into baseball. This is my chance because we know that he missed his last season of baseball because he got mono. And that's why he missed his senior year of baseball. He comes in to get a second chance with scouts so he can be a minor league baseball player and good for them for not thinking he was going to be major league. So that's good that he didn't be realistic. And two, because he knew his sister was struggling and he could make her popular, which he felt he fulfilled that obligation. But he was yeah. mostly self-interested. Yeah, but he still did the thing he was supposed to do. That's what little brothers do. Yeah, he has like an arc where you're like, oh, he was the one who started the Josie Grossy thing. He was an asshole and then now he's helping her. So he's like, you know, he's like a supportive brother. And so he, you know, who like kind of his actions make up for what he did in high school and shit like that. Right. So. Right. But he so does redeem himself. Right. So like. He, you know, he comes in, he says, oh man, underage hotties when she's telling him about the school and he's looking at the newspaper. And so he's already coming in, like, I'm going to be kind of a perv. And there's a point that they're at a party together where she reminds him that he's, that 16 is illegal mm -hmm. and then promptly goes upstairs with guy who's 17 and she, she says, and he goes, okay, Mrs. Robinson. Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> and then she went upstairs with a 17 year old to her bedroom that had her name on it. And she kept on putting down pictures and guys, obviously an idiot, mm -hmm. but it was very interesting because like pop, I don't know what you thought about this, but one of the parts that was most unbelievable to me is that this like overly popular high school dude didn't physically try anything with her oh and I, yeah and i was like that's good but and i hope that that would not happen you want to grab that city for sure but yeah i thought i thought he was i was like oh man i forgot this scene is it gonna but they go to her old bedroom and all he does is say i want to take you to prom I'm yeah sure. but it's like yeah and it's like built up where you're like oh my god are you two gonna make out and like as a 12 year old i was probably i was probably like I hope they make out because like I said, all these people 
were just, they seemed all older than me. So I had really no cons. I just started preempting it even more, but I, I didn't really have too much of a concept of what that age difference meant right at that point right so she's what there's eight years difference and she's just in general line so they kind of feature stuff like scenes right where both she like she like and rob grapple with the fact that they're lying to people right so there is that element where you see the remorse but then yeah i would say yeah let's just keep going <laughs> but, but rob ultimately turns the girl down yes so i think that that they're at prom the girls put her like literally over her head literally i want to have she's sex a gymnast with you. or something yeah yeah she's a gymnast she's a 16 year old gymnast and that's when he was excited she's about drunk, too. she's drunk and ultimately he says that his morality comes through and he gives her the sweetest little speech, the sweetest little talk where he's like, I really like you, but like, no, is pretty much, but he was like really kind about it, which right. I, so when I rewatched it pretty recently, that was one of the places where I confirmed my bias for the film because I was like, well, see, that was handled pretty well. That was handled pretty well, but at the same time, they decide in the uh, editor's office, right, that Josie should aggressively start pursuing the teacher to essentially destroy his career. Right, right. And so they've decided that they have. So one thing about this is, is that they have halfway through uh, oh. the editors get a little frustrated that she's not really producing anything, even though they told her she was going for a whole semester. So I felt like that was a really like quick ex expectation. Um, but so they decide to have her mic'd up. So a guy literally pulls up in a van and pulls her into the van in front of a high school and nobody calls anybody. And I'm telling you, as a person who was 18 at this time period, people paid attention to that stuff. <laughs> but they pull her into the van, they mic her up and they have a video. They show her like throwing up. They show all kinds of stuff. Uh, she gets high by eating a brownie uh, that she thinks is gonna be, um, she doesn't realize is a weed brownie. And then she gets on stage and starts dancing. All kinds of crazy stuff happens with Josie and her videotape. And they don't really care about her until she becomes popular. And then they start watching. But really early on in watching those videos, Anita sees the way the teacher looks at her and hears her Drew Barrymore's words. And she's like, oh, they're in love. Mm -hmm. And then people start watching them and rooting for them. And then once she gets popular, everyone in the office suddenly loves watching it and watches it religiously. Yeah, like a soap opera, like they're all sitting around a TV, like watching, which right. is not that different than what we actually do today on, t you know, TikTok lives mm -hmm. and Instagram live streams and things. So, right. It was unusual then, but we do a lot of that now, which is kind of strange in some ways. But um, yeah, so basically they pick up on it on the attraction so back in what is his name mr colson's court where he he was giving off vibes before they even decided to bust him and then they were like let's bust him that's your story we're gonna bust this dude and then so then they essentially start putting her 
in situations where they want her to like actively get um, footage of him being inappropriate with her, which from a journalistic integrity viewpoint, you mentioned in Fast Times at Ridgemont High that uh, Cameron Crowe did a morality clause. It seems that no such thing existed in in this realm, in the fictional realm of this. And also, um, they uh, they uh, let it. They encouraged it. So then they they didn't protect the safety of their journalist either, because they were encouraging her essentially to be sexually harassed slash possibly assaulted by somebody right but it was okay because they were attracted to each other right yeah and but but i think you know when we talk about kind of the inappropriateness it was so interesting because of that carnival scene she's by herself now she's already popular right she already has her date lined up with um with guy but she goes to the carnival and she's by herself and they start yelling we have a single here is there another single to be in the in the ferris wheel with her and he hears it and he like jumps the line and jumps in there me 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 please and he's like and that's where he tells her um i wish that i wish that i could tell you that guys get better with age but they don't we're always idiots and then he says but guys will be lining up when you're my age and she's like you're very much groomer speak Right. And then she's like, you're saying oh, because you're yeah. my teacher. And he's like, I shouldn't say that. Because I shouldn't be saying that. And then like 12 year old me is like, oh, my God, they're in love. This is so amazing. And it really makes me wonder how much of that was the pressure. So like every movie that was kind of like that back then had to have a love storyline, some kind of storyline that involved the woman seeking out a man because at this point like we're rooting for this yeah as the audience we are moved by the filmmakers to root for that that relationship however we also know that she's really 25 which makes it okay right quote unquote okay but at the same time you know 36 year old me is like that also seems strange that we were initially conditioned to think those things were like cute in the circumstances because ultimately it was a teacher who was saying groomer type things to someone he perceived to be a teenager yeah yeah i hear you yeah (laughs) not great and it's also not great that she's hitting on Guy and she's so excited Guy's going to take her to the prom. And and then the other part, the like, the real awkwardness is that her whole staff has told her that Mr. Coulson and her are the drama that we're going for. We can see the spark. We can see the connection between you. And she still goes to the prom with the kid where the professor's there that she loves. <laughs> and like, so there's like so many pieces to complex feelings in that one prom scene but ultimately guy becomes like the real bad guy because she figures out that they're gonna dump dog food on her bff that she has totally totally not paid attention to for the last half hour of the movie 
and her nerd friends come as a DNA strain and she unzips that. Lily Sobieski unzips the DNA strain to be in like a banging bodysuit. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. She's the nerd. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And Guy yeah. says, let's bury, bury the hatchet. We, you know, it's the end of school. Let's just be friends. Can I have this dance with you? And they do this like very weird and dramatic dance. <laughs> While everyone very slowly opens dog food cans because they're going to pour them on her. Because their nickname for her is Alpo. Right. Right. So whatever. But then she sees it happening and she physically stops it. When she is dancing at her prom with her teacher, who she's clearly in love with, and then she sees the Alpo thing happening, she stops it from happening. And then tells the school that she everything. Is. She's like, you know what? Fuck every, fuck all of you is like pretty much what she's like a pretty good, a pretty good speech about like she's been so kind to me, but kept telling her how much of a loser she was in the speech. Mm-hmm. So that was a little interesting. So then she goes outside and her camera guy's like, What happened? Were you able to catch Colson? And he's right there and hears that she is not only an undercover reporter, now he knows she's an undercover reporter, and also out she to get him. is literally out to ruin his life. His whole career. Whole career. So I'm not I'm not saying that he's not a bad guy in this scenario. I want to be clear. But I'm also saying that in the law, we talk about the clean hands doctrine. And the idea is, is that you cannot contribute to the crime. And she contributes quite a bit to the crime in this particular scenario. Yeah, it's, um, there's a lot of, I would say, like at first it's more passive, like where they're just vibing a little bit, but then they start putting her in situations where they're directly trying to goad him into doing or saying inappropriate things. And she's all in. And one thing is she doesn't, to me, she doesn't argue hard enough. I don't want to do that because she has placed the career ahead of the potential love interest, right? Like, she, like that was a gross ask by her editor. But it's like but, a commentary on how, you know, and that was, that was probably a commentary on tabloids. And that was at a time when, I mean, that's before tabloids kind of exploded into the online space too so it was like a commentary on like how gross and how far tabloids will go for things but or this was a newspaper but like essentially where media is going like it was kind of trying to kind of point like point to that right like where media is going seeking the more salacious or scandalous stories because that's what gets readership and look at where we are now, right? So it wasn't far off, a far off social commentary there, but I don't know that they were. I, as, I don't. I think you have put in. Oh yeah, this makes sense more than the writers thought. Let's make a social commentary on the stress of media <laughs> because they also wrote he's just not that into you. You That's know what fair. I mean? Like you're kind of giving him a little more credit than is due, but but. That's- that's the other the part of it, choose to extract from it, though. <laughs> right. But the other part of it that we're not, we haven't mentioned, is that John C. Riley's character has now been told if her story isn't a banger, 
she he will also be fired. Right. So the push is also self-preservation for her editor, John C. Riley's character. Okay. So then we find ourselves at the beginning of the movie, at the end of the movie, where she is she has written her story and she tells the story about how she's never been truly kissed, which was what she told Octavia Spencer at the beginning of the movie. And she writes this thing about wanting to be with that one person she loves, tells her story about being a high schooler because that had been broken by the other news reports too. remember, because they put it out. Uh, She made her confession at prom and then the other newspaper found out about it and posted the story about it. So she says, yep, I did it. I went back and I hurt someone I love. And if you love me back, meet me on on the baseball diamond on the pitcher's mound of the first five minutes of the state championship game. (laughs) Ah, that was the most awkward five minutes of my life. And I feel like they let it go for genuinely five minutes. Oh, yeah, they definitely did. And it was just her standing in the middle of an empty field while people just kind of were in the stands cheering Cheering for her. Yeah. Waiting for him to show up. And he doesn't at first. Right. And then he finally for the full five minutes, he's not there. And then he finally gets there and they kiss and they're in love now. And then he it, almost didn't make it because he was moving. He didn't see the article. And then he started to wrap his package with the article, read it, and then ran to the stadium. And so, there we have Never Been Kissed. So the story was about morally questionable, but it ended, everything ended just fine. <laughs> and that's what we like. Yeah. So what I want to know is your favorite, least favorite, and cringiest moments. Um... So my favorite part was that milkshake part where they're just chilling to soft rock. And um, because I thought that, you know, at the time, my friend Carolina and I, that's what we, not necessarily that, but that's the kind of, you know, it was like very one-on-one or us mm-hmm. and her sister, or her older sister, but it, it, it very much depicted what a girl's life was if you were just like more chill than the popular kids and so that that was nice because it was it in the movie it was like she was integrated into school she kind of found her people but um she and she was like happy and content and so it was different than how it was the first time around because she was involved mm-hmm. but she wasn't popular and she didn't want to be and i liked that um yeah, what about you? So I want to go, I want to give mine in a row because they intermingle. Okay. So that was so your favorite. That was my favorite. So uh, my least favorite is uh, this scene. There's a scene that depicts how she got stood up on prom. Well, she didn't get stood up. They drove by. She was fake asked out on a date. Um, from the Brian. Brian, popular boy number one, round one. And he came by and uh, threw eggs at her. And yeah, that man. broke my heart. And it, I remember feeling the lump in my throat when that happened. And her mom came out and was like, She I went and hid. She hid. Yeah. Oh, that was she awful. Because she was so ashamed. And so um, I could relate to that kind of pain. And then um, 
cringiest was definitely the part where 16 year old's legs were spread up on a 23 year old and she was like let's fuck and i <laughs> totally when i was re-watching it i for a minute forgot how that happened i remembered that like rob was a good dude but i couldn't exactly remember so then i was like okay all right but for that moment very cringy yes all right i accept your choices <laughs> mine are actually different this time my least favorite is that once she became popular in high school she became popular in her office that drives me fucking crazy because like part of the lesson of the movie <laughs> is that like peaking in high school like more happens after high school the big speech at the prom was like life happens after high school that's so much better than this and we see a lot like when we talk about some of these kind of in current to 2023 times we see these like super men driven like not us like don't MAGA stuff we see those people who peaked in high school who didn't get further and now we're blaming society for it. And they'll blame evil us. They'll blame Rob. people of color. What? I said it's evil, Rob. <laughs> evil version of Rob. And then, so I didn't like that when she got popular in high school, all of a sudden they liked her. Because I know that they cared about the San the Colson, her relationship, but they more cared about her being with the cool girls now. And that made me angry about the movie. Um, My cringiest moment was the baseball diamond because I was having so much anxiety like this is so awkward everyone's just like putting your heart out on your sleeve this intensely is too much I am like I am someone who's very social I'm very blunt I am my genuine authentic self I think most of the time to people but there is just like a step too far of cringiness for me in that moment but then when I thought about it that kind of morphed into my favorite moment and and the reason is is because she didn't hesitate to tell him she loved him and one of the reasons I don't like any kind of romantic comedies and I hate them and uh, this is embarrassing we're going to be very vulnerable with you all right now but when I started dating my husband um he I had decided like six months prior that we were going to date And I'm sorry if I've already told you this story, but I'm sure I haven't told you part of it because it's embarrassing, but it's fine. We're already going there. So um, I was with another guy. Uh, He was all the bad ways a guy can be. And I hated him, but we lived together and it was like really difficult to separate. But Eric was my best friend and I had decided I should be like with someone like Eric. And then I decided I should be with Eric. And during that time, nothing happened, but I would tell him, well, when we get married someday, <laughs> I was very open about it. So the culmination of us actually getting together, bad things happened with the guy. So I very much left. Um, and I was staying at my friend's house because I was like a refugee in my friend's house because I had nowhere to go. And um, and she knew I liked Eric and she was part of my like friend group in law school. And I said he said something about going to a movie and I had taken him I had back. I had taken him to like, I was the social chair of my law school. So I took him to see the, the like place that law school prom was happening, which is called barristers. And I took him to, to the place to view it. And then we went out to brunch. And then later that night we were talking something about some romantic comedy movie that he liked. And I was like, I hate rom-coms. And he said, why? 
And I said, because they spend 45 minutes of the movie just waiting to tell each other they love each other. And that's fucking irritating. <laughs> and he go and he said something like he said something cheesy, like, well, in our love story, that wouldn't happen. I go, it's happening now. I told you I love <laughs> you like 14 times and you haven't done anything about it. And then he, <laughs> and then he said. Well, I would, I was thinking about how, if you went to barristers with someone else, I would be jealous. And I go, are you genuinely asking me out on our first date? That's not even going to happen for two months. And that's how we have it. <laughs> like, that was, uh, so that's the beginning of my relationship. But in this movie, like they couldn't tell you, like there was a genuine reason why she couldn't go after her t- physically, like say, I want to date you. There was f- a reason why he was towing the line of inappropriateness. For sure. Some of that, I never really thought of it as groomer behavior, but I totally understand that what you're saying from this conversation. I am just very surprised that I am the one who mentioned that. Right. I know. This is uncharacteristic. And then you're like, oh, I didn't think. I'm like, oh, you, the sexual (laughs) assault investigator who (laughs) saw these relationships actually play out in the real world, didn't think about because he kept telling her like i can't do this instead of being like i would if i could he was okay, just like so he had boundaries so he set the boundaries in place so he couldn't do it and then the minute she could tell him she loved him she did and and i so then i changed so it went from being my cringiest to my favorite moment my other favorite moment of the movie is when they went to the prom which she picked the theme which is famous couples and Jesus and Mary came to the table and Jessica <laughs> Alba's character, Jessica Alba's character goes, I'm sorry, there's no room. And Mary was pregnant. Oh, it was so good. It was like such a good line. <laughs> and then she turns and she just goes, it's just so bad for them. <laughs> so good. Okay. Bad so them. let me tell you quickly why this is such a culturally relevant conversation. Is it because so, they're in the Library of Congress? No. <laughs> so in June uh, of 2023, an ex-social worker who is 32 years old had to appear in court in Boston because she was indicted on three counts of forgery, three, two counts of false writing, and one count of identity fraud because she posed as two different high school girls last year in the Boston school system. <laughs> oh what so this this woman was a was a um 32 year old former social social worker but not a journalist correct she was a former social worker who uh worked from 2016 to february 2023 for the massachusetts department of child children and families they won't say why she wasn't employed she was no longer employed and she showed up at two different high schools. Um, she had two different fake names in the high schools. She would do very dramatic things. Like she told us she was a foster child from Panama. She was a Latin American foster child, South American foster child who like came up to, to Massachusetts and she would like carry a trash bag around and be like, I have to go to a new foster family today. Oh and she God. just made all this up. And there's no, there's no like connection yet why it happened. And the proceedings are still, you know, yeah, she was yeah. just, she was just uh, indicted in, I think it was indicted. She was, she went to court about it in June of this year. So like just a month ago, look at us making this movie. And then 
So the New York Times does an article about her, this woman. Her name is Shelly Hewitt, uh, Shelby Hewitt. And she's currently undergoing legal proceedings for that. In uh, the early 2000s, someone saw the movie and got really excited. Frederick Bourdon. That's not how you say the name. It is a person in Europe. And I know that that name sounds much cooler than my like terrible mixed American accent. Um, he went into, he serially impersonated children in youth shelters, junior high schools, and orphanages throughout U Europe. And in um, March of this year, there was also another person pretending to be a teenager at New Brunswick High School in New Jersey, um, which that came out and like captured a lot of attention. And uh, this was a... Um, a woman who said she longed for the sense of safety she felt as a teenager in her Massachusetts boarding school. So 29-year-old pretended to be. Um, so we've had two people this year who have pretended to be high school students. And when I think sense, and sense of safety in school, in today's society, those two, two things don't really, I don't, I don't pair those Very together. Schools in, in America right now are the most dangerous place for a child to be um, when it comes to um, f fatalities. So I think that's like the number one cause of child death at this point. So right. Yeah, it is. And so in this, she just this, misses the vibes. Yeah, well, this woman there, there's some um, concerns about her mental health. Uh, and the no reason they figured her out is because um, she tried to set up meetings with um, with students at the school, she would try to set up meetings with them and they got real, it made them really nervous and they were, the students reported her. So she wasn't playing the game very well, but. Well, so you mentioned the game. I'm wondering how many people have done this and gotten away with it. And for what reasons? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, cause these people were caught, but are they all caught? I don't know. So yeah, this lady, she got, to, she had, she, her family was in South Korea. She went to boarding school in Massachusetts as a high schooler. So that whole relate, like her whole understanding of like belonging and say, when you get sent away to boarding school, even if it's the best boarding school, you know, as a 14 year old in, in those formative years, that can, it can, it can have good outcomes and it can have less good outcomes for her. It was a very good outcome. She gets divorced. She gets left in New Jersey. She doesn't know anyone. She just decided, I'm going to go to a place where I felt the most cared for. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So yeah. super relevant to have this discussion because we've had two in the last six months that have tried to pull this off. Second PSA for today, everyone, don't pretend to be a high schooler as an adult because you can actually go to jail for that. It's fucking weird. And All right. Does it pass the smell test? I would say yes, and here's why. Because um, it really kind of sends the message, don't fuck teenagers. Like, it really does. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's like, nope, she has this, she, this dude won't fall for it. This teacher won't fall for it. But then also, Rob's boundaries. Um, and yeah, I yeah. think, you know, I don't know what high schools look like today. But I think it, it, it captured that time like definitely you know the school i went to at that time was very judgmental and image conscious and that's what the school was like so i think it, it really does capture 
what it was like being a high school student. Yeah. And I would say it's, I would, the, the only thing I try not to talk to Diane about these movies until we talk to each other on the podcast. But the only thing I said to her was it's much cringier in my head than when I really watched it. Cause I probably haven't seen the movie for 20 years. Like I don't even, it's been a very long time since I watched this movie and it really was less bad watching it again than it was in my head because in my head I was ready to fight you for liking this movie. I know and I said I'm <laughs> gonna have to come in defending it exactly. yeah but but I do think you know I do I think that that teacher started to step over the line yes but we didn't talk about this but he was leaving because he knew that what he did was wrong so he was leaving he wasn't going to be with his girlfriend he was leaving because he was like this isn't for me anymore because he knew he was being inappropriate and he had the like stuff to stop himself Right. He had the individuality. Yeah. And so while I do think some of that language could in hands of more dangerous people was incredibly dangerous. But in this particular situation, he knew he fucked up. He knew that she he knew he really fucked up when he found out that he was going to be the subject of an article. But he really was not. I like I don't think it was. I think I made it worse in my head, Mm -hmm. giving years apart. So I do think it holds up. And I do think that Drew Barrymore is a delight. Just a wonderful human, just all around, I think. Um, I really love seeing her thrive and healthy and happy. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, and I love, she like sits in the audience with her friends. And maybe someday she'll hear this podcast and be like, I need those two women. She seems like the kind of person who, who would... Like if you said, hey, Drew Barrymore, listen to my podcast, she might do it. She seems like the kind of person. (laughs) Probably the celebrity. And Drew Barrymore, next time you do a uh, ugly you versus beautiful normal you movie, I can play ugly you. (laughs) Found out from the waitress. I can play homeless you. (laughs) I can play homeless, strung out, mess Drew Barrymore with ratty hair. Well, thank you for all that. that thoughtful research you did and thanks to anyone who's who's out there yep Um, so all right so next next time we will be looking at the movie short circuit which was a favorite of yours um it was a favorite of mine and i'm so nervous (laughs) well you know what's funny it was actually a favorite of mine too but i haven't seen it since i was maybe eight um i watched it a lot on tv Mm -hmm. um and I loved it back then, so I'm I'm equally interested to see how it stands up. Um, one of the actors in it, every time I see him, I'm like, that's the dude from Short Circuit. He was on that wildly successful show Succession, which we can talk about more. But um, every time I see that dude for like 30 years, I've been like, Short Circuit, Short Circuit guy. So I am looking forward to that. So we will be talking about uh, culturally insensitive humor. Excellent. Uh, All I love to talk about. Yeah. All right. Well, have a great, great one, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Smelltestpodcast.com. I mean, smelltestpodcast Instagram. We don't have a website. Lies. Okay. Bye. (laughs)